those three sentences, hey, I love your dog. I'm a dog owner too. My name is Charles. We're married and we live in this, this neighborhood. Each of those individual sentences can be its own story. Like, hey, I love your dog. That's a whole story. I'm a dog owner too. That's an entire story. And then, hey, I live in this neighborhood. That's an entire story. If you think about Adams in that way, all of those make up my paragraph that I introduced to this person. But now you've got these three individual, really unique stories. And that's kind of how any piece of content is, whether it's a podcast, any sentence or two minute moment is like its own huge thought bubble. If you think about it. Let's do this. Welcome to Hello Content by T3 Custom, the podcast that explores the forces shaping the future of content with content superstars about strategy tips, deep insights, technological breakthroughs, and even their wildest predictions. I'm your host, Kevin Lund. Let's do this. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Hello Content. I wanted to welcome my very special guest today from my great team, Rachel Witzel. Hey, hi. And Charles Samuel. How's it going? Good, good. Uh, so guys, I want to talk a little bit about this thing that we're calling atomization of content. It's really about one of the biggest pain points as an agency. We, I ran an agency 15 years. You guys have been a big part of that. But going forward, there's just so many channels coming out at the same time. There's so many places to be. There's so many types of content. Content's become multimodal. The one thing that's plaguing, I think, any content producer today is how do I produce content at scale for all the various channels? and be there at the right time, at the right place for the right audience. Because some of that same content has to sound differently depending on the channel that you're producing it for. And it just creates a really complicated web of things. And you can get it can get really expensive because you can create a blog post, for example, and then you have to create social media after that. So you got to get your social media experts involved and they have to write the content based on the blog post. And so it was really complicated for the last several years until now with the advent of AI. So here we are talking about AI again, but atomization is a way of turning sort of one or a few pieces of content into perhaps dozens or even hundreds of pieces of content and being able to distribute them very efficiently across multiple channels. Am I right? Yeah. I like the idea of atomization because there's a beautiful visual of the atom and the individual parts of that atom. And so internally at T3, we call it um, atomization as the process of taking one piece of content and doing a lot of things. And those individual things we call atoms. And so there's this cool visual right away, but there's a, a real value in repurposing, reusing content, whatever you want to call it. We call it atomization. But there's a real big value in working smart, not hard on the supply side for organizations that need to work smarter and be more efficient and reduce production costs, things like that. Um, what better way than to use what's already working and doing other things with it. And so that's, that's a huge win for a lot of businesses and generative AI allows you to do those things really fast and really efficiently. And on the demand side, you've got consumers with different ways that they want to be engaged. And so um, uh, it's not just across channels, like TikTok is different than Facebook and LinkedIn. We know that, right? But even inside channels like Instagram, you've got different kinds of consumption that's happening on the channel. Like reels are going to be looked at differently than the, the regular feed is going to be looked at differently than the story. And so do you want to create net new content for each of those conversion points? Probably not. You probably want to find ways to already take what's working and just do more with it. And so um, I like the fact that it's just kind of making us all kind of think about working smarter, not harder. And the brands that actually lean into generative AI are probably going to be the ones that kind of succeed in this new world. 
what exactly does atomization do for you? Like, let's just, let's just use even our own podcast as an example. We're shooting video as well as recording audio for anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour when we do the show. What happens next? Rachel, you, you're the, the guru on our podcast. Why don't you talk to me about what our distribution strategy is? How are you going to turn this into a, a million different parts? Yeah. So really what we're trying to do is get as many individual clips out of each recording session as we can. Um, so, you know, you hear the podcast in its entirety on Apple, Spotify every single week, and that's just the audio component. But like you said, we're shooting the video, we have the cameras rolling the whole time, um, which gives us an hour of content that some of it, much of it didn't make it into the final podcast. So we can throw that into, we personally used a script with the AI transcription. It makes it really easy to edit as if you're editing just a Google Doc. It's really great. So you can select clips from the show super easily and pull out those highlights, pull out really cool things the guest said, um, really great moments from anybody else on the show that day and edit them up in just a few minutes. And then from there, it's just a plethora of content, you know, kind of minimum like 15, 20 clips from each show for all different channels, right? Each of those channels also then has different kinds of content that works best, right? So a piece that works really well on LinkedIn might not translate as well on TikTok where right, even right. if you have an exec- an audience full of executives, they're on their free time usually when they're on TikTok. So they want something a little more casual, a little more fun. Um, maybe they don't need like the super hard hitting top line thought leadership as they would want when they're scrolling LinkedIn on their lunch break, right? So just trying to get as much as we can for every single channel out of what we have. It's really casting a wide net to grab as big of an audience as possible and ultimately being in as many of the water holes as possible, you know, so that you're a part of those conversations. Mm -hmm. And if you're a part of those conversations, so if you're, you know, if we take this and we throw it on a YouTube channel and the only channel somebody is using is YouTube, but they never go, they don't use Spotify or they don't use, they, they don't, don't listen to podcasts. We've got them. Um, if they're only searching on Google and we have smartly, um, you know, produced written content out of this and posted the transcripts on our blog, we can SEO the heck out of it and, and try to make it, you know, try to help people find us there. So I guess what you're really saying is, is we're just casting a wide net so that as many people as possible can see us um, and and hopefully build a relationship with them. Correct? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I would probably push back on transcripts having SEO value. Okay. Is there something you can do about that? If I understand your concern, you're saying there's no value in transcripts because there's lack of keywords? That, I mean, I would go as far as... Readability? Yeah, readability, I would lean into probably as far as I don't know if spending the time to create a blog post based on your podcast episode is worth the return that you're going to see from that. Oh, Um, I see. Yeah. It's too much work for the channel. Yes. But posting the transcript itself, like in its, I mean, edited, of course, um, to match the episode, but posting the raw transcript so the people who like to or even need to read along as they're listening or watching to the watching the episode that's definitely a lot of value for accessibility got it got it i think just to kind of add there um this also kind of brings up this new world that we're in today because 10 years ago the last decade and a half it's been about 
content strategy, kind of a mm-hmm. broad term. Now we're kind of getting into multimodal. This question even is about multimodal. How do we start thinking about, okay, we've got this one hour podcast episode. It's chock full of great things, but then how do we make it pal- palatable to people who want to read articles? And it's not going to be just the transcript, just like one, one, one to one. And so now we've got to start thinking about how do we make it actually palatable and engaging on these channels in a, a decade ago, content delivery was a lot of, here's our brand new blog post. And that was an Instagram mm-hmm. post pointing people to a, a blog post. And that does, doesn't work anymore. So it's a great point, Rachel. I think you're bringing up this idea of like this new age of multimodal content strategy. Brands are starting to hire for AI content strategy now. So we've got these like new ways of thinking that are required in this in this new world of consumption. Well, let's, let's talk about that for a second. Let's stay on that for a minute, Charles, because... That's really critical. Uh, The heart of many, many businesses and content strategies was like blog first, go from there, right? Promote the heck out of the blog, build SEO. I mean, heck, we've done it for our own customers very, very successfully. You know, we built a website for a very large brokerage firm. Over the course of three, four years, it went to 2 million hits and it was all because of SEO, great content, all the usual rules. Mm -hmm. But I would say in a matter of now, maybe even months, definitely in the last year or two, but just in the last matter of months, it's it's gone to this multimodal idea where you're not really creating a central piece of content for just a blog. And then you go from there in this hub and spoke model. It's something else entirely. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think two things happened. I think the last five years, 10 years, uh, you started seeing more mobile users. You could see this in Google Analytics now for most brands. Yeah. But Mobile traffic has co- completely eviscerated desktop traffic in most cases. And so it used to be 50-50 for a while and then mobile one. And so the kind of content people are reading on a mobile device when you don't want to scroll a long article forever on your small little screen, uh, it's just it's just it just plays differently on a on a mobile device. And so now you're starting to see shorter blog posts and shorter pieces of content. But then on top of that, I would also say uh, the TikTok algorithm, that completely changed the game. We're still talking about it. Every brand is trying to keep up with them. We want these shorter bite, bite-sized pieces of content now. And it's kind of the, the trend. It doesn't mean that white papers and more prestige content don't have their mark, but it's it's not as common as you would think anymore. And it's not as go-to, even for B2B anymore. Now you have to think about these other channels that are probably burgeoning, weren't on your radar before, but now they have to be. Okay. All right. That's really interesting. Well, ultimately, if we buy into this idea of multimodal, is there any central sort of medium that's used first, like a blog used to be? I mean, I know, for example, like using this podcast again as an example, we're not really blogging. We're just, you know, here we are having a weekly podcast and creating tons of content out of that so that we can go push it out. Is, is there sort of a central idea, central content repository that's used anymore? Or is it just building content everywhere? I think it depends by brand and probably even by B2C and B2B. There's some difference there, but in general, I would say no. Kevin, I know we talked about decentralized content or decentralized like content distribution a few weeks ago with Alex Burkett. And I really think that's what everybody is moving towards, moving away from having your website as the destination and seeing your website as this treasure trove of information and value and instead taking that information and value and putting it out into the dozens of different channels that your audience uses every single day. Right. So is is it safe to say that the well, no, I don't want to say this. I was going to say is the blog dead? I would 
I say kill the blog. <laughs> yeah, we're, and we're starting to see that too. A lot of a lot of what uh, we're seeing in B two B, especially, uh, mm-hmm. is uh, the content hub, um, which is not a brand new thing, but uh, this idea that if you're trying to educate your users in the B two B space, uh, for us as an agency, we're trying to reach other businesses. But to educate them, it's not just about sending them to a uh, a place where they can read articles. You'd want to give them different kinds of content. So deeper, more premium content, maybe uh, playbooks to kind of help them through problems that they're having, videos if possible, clips of podcasts, things like that. So we're starting to see that. So you still want you still want a central place. You still want a place where people can go and get it all if they want to see where everything is. Is that is that right? The content hub? Everyone has a website. And if you're creating a website, you definitely want your content all feeding into one central repository. On our website, for example, we have a content hub and there are different collection items. So we have one CMS powering the playbooks that we offer. They're like white papers. They're longer, they're premium pieces. There's others for videos. There's another CMS for blog posts. You can only find them by going to our content hub. So when you go there, you can see all the different kinds of content that we have in one place so that if somebody wants to self-educate and kind of chew on things when they want to, they can. It's one place versus where we used to kind of... Uh, take our websites back in the day it was a specific place for a blog and you would have all the articles there. And if they wanted to click to white papers, they would have to go somewhere else, maybe deeper or accidentally click on an ad on LinkedIn or something. Uh, and that's the only way they would find these white papers. But now the idea is like, why don't you just give it to them? Just give it to them. Maybe there's gates behind stuff, but just give it all to them and let them educate. So it's kind of a different Got approach it. again. Got it. Got it. Well, so we've talked about the definitions of atomization and what it can do for you. I mean, the idea of building content at scale, it's it's creating efficiencies that we've never seen before. Let's talk a little bit about the how to atomize, the technology behind it. So how do we go about creating multiple pieces of content for a multimodal strategy? Yeah. Internally, we've been testing out a lot of really fun, like most brands now, gender AI tools. Uh, so First, I think it comes down to figuring out where you want your content to live ultimately. So what kind of content do you want to you know, create and what are you starting with? So as long as you know those two things, you're good, you're golden, you can kind of, kind of piecemeal things together. And so if you're starting with a video uh, content like Rachel had alluded to earlier about our podcast episodes, it's audio and video and then we do other things using Descript. But in our case for the agency, we're using video doing atomization with that, but also text. Uh, entire playbooks, doing things with with those. And so we use generative AI to rephrase and repurpose and kind of rethink in some cases, even reimagine stuff for social with, with different voices. We've used generative AI and tools like that in these processes to change the shape of really complex material for financial brands for different channels. So they've had, there's been newsletters and blogs and education material that have all sounded different about the same exact topic for different audiences. So that's kind of how we're approaching it. We're really using a lot of smart, interesting, sophisticated tech, but ultimately we're just trying to create better versions of content that's already out there. Got it. Yeah. I think this is also a good time to chat about what atomization isn't, at least by our like definitions and standards, right? So we kind of hinted at this earlier that 10 years ago, what we would call repur- like repurposing content was a lot of we wrote this blog post, we're going to take the link for it and maybe the hero image, and we're going to put it up across all of our social channels with a little, maybe, you know, maybe a one or two sentence summary. And then the call to action is leave the social platform and go read our blog on our website. 
And that's not (laughs) what modern repurposing is. Or even like, you know, I think you still read a lot of like nine ways to repurpose your content and it's, oh, put it in a newsletter, but with a one paragraph summary and a link that leaves, you know, makes you leave Gmail or Outlook and go back to the blog on whoever's website it is, right? And it's a lot of non-native content, whereas I think atomization as we define it is all about finding opportunities to repurpose what we have into native content for those platforms and keep people in the channel that they're in, keep those algorithms happy. You're saying don't conflate the terms repurposing with atomization. Repurposing is really a specific strategy, taking a single piece of content. It used to be a blog post, for example, and you could, that becomes a white paper, but the content doesn't really change. Or it goes into a chapter of a book or an ebook or something like that, right? But the content really stays the same. You're just mm-hmm. repurposing it for a different channel. You're not rewriting it. You're not, you know, you're not making it any different. What you're talking about with atomization is taking a single piece of content and literally turning it into multiple pieces of content around the same subject. But it might sound different depending on the channel that you're on. It may be exactly. a different lengths. It may be in a different format, whether it's audio, visual, or editorial. So it's really about taking a single piece of content and, and, and pushing it out in the world in multiple different ways, not just repurposing the same thing that can be seen in five different places. Correct? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, I have a really interesting experiment too uh, that I remember when I was walking our dog. If I, if I meet another dog owner, I'll say, hey, I love your dog. My name is Charles. We were married and we live in this neighborhood. If you break that... You're married to your dog. You're married to Pickles. Yikes. <laughs> but that, those three sentences, hey, I love your dog... I'm a dog owner too. My name is Charles. We're married and we live in this this neighborhood. Each of those individual sentences can be its own story. Like, hey, I love your dog. That's a whole story. Uh, I'm a dog owner too. That's an entire story. And then, hey, I live in this neighborhood. That's an entire story. If you think about Adams in that way, all of those make up my paragraph that I introduced to this person. But now you've got these three individual, really unique stories. And that's kind of how any piece of content is, whether it's a podcast, any sentence or two minute moment is like its own huge thought bubble, if you think about it. That's a really great way to think about it. Almost thinking about if, and for someone who just said like, oh, kill the blog, I'm going to go back to text just because it's, I think it's the easiest for a lot of people to visualize. Um, if you have a like four sentence paragraph, what's the sentence in there that you are hoping people ask you more about, right? Like if you're on a walk and you meet somebody and you say, hi, I'm Charles this is Pickles, like we live in this neighborhood. What are you hoping people probe at next? Well, well how did you get here? I moved from right. New York, right? Looking at your content in that way too. What's some of the most interesting aspects of it that you want people to ask you more about? Great point. Yeah, you're really you're really addressing multiple things there. Actually, by by having four or five different things in your introduction, saying like I'm a dog owner, I'm a dog lover, I'm married, I live in this neighborhood, I'm new. You're saying four different things, so yeah. you don't know what they're going to want to talk about. And I think that goes for for content, right? Like we want to write, take a listicle, for example. There mm-hmm. could be seven different things that, that all point to one thing, like, you know, five ways to find money under the couch cushion, right? You could have one whole paragraph about how to reduce your bills and free up some cash or how to do this and that. You don't know what people are going to glob onto. They may only glob onto one of the four items in your listicle. But the point is, is you're throwing it out there in many places at once and trying to catch that fish, right? Mm-hmm. Is that, And that's the idea. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you had that listicle article and it's five ways to find money under the couch cushions, each of those five points could then become five separate short form videos, like or 
baselines or inspirations for short form videos, right? So then you've got a five video series on TikTok or LinkedIn or whatever channel you're using. And it's five new individual pieces of content centered around like the idea of finding money under the couch cushions, but probing deeper into each of those five strategies. It's also, I think, a good test for how you create content. Like our articles oftentimes Mm -hmm. have maybe three to four H2s. And if they're good, if they're actually good H2s, then they should stand alone as like a topic. You should be able to yeah. create a two-minute video on any of those H2s. And that's kind of the logic that we use internally, but that's that should be the, the bar that you're setting for your content and any yeah. atom within that content. Do you think that today's content creator needs to be thinking about how many different topics to talk about, even though there needs to be a through line in a particular article or a piece of content, Right. Do you think that the content creator is no longer trying to create a thesis supported by three things and then ultimately you repeat the same thing that you said in the beginning, but different in the conclusion? It's like that that stack strategy. You think that ultimately we're trying to think of like five different articles when we write a single article? Is it is the content creator sort of now in charge of creating five ideas within one big one? Yeah, and that's the reason why generative AI is so helpful. When you need those extra five, 10, 200 ideas from this one paragraph, Generative AI, that's the, the real power. I, I would say right now, the biggest question mark around generative AI and anything, even GPT-4, is, you know, especially with the content output still not where we want them to be. They're not AGI and perfect yet, but until we get there, they're incredible assistants. And so they give you incredible ideas and they ideate faster than any of us could ever do. So um, good question, Kevin. That's how I would I would tackle that if I'm writing it about search engine optimization for, you know, Bing, I might get stuck because I've never used Bing that much. I'm a Google user. And so I can immediately ask GPT-4 and boom, there it is, 100 ideas. So I think a lot of the, the moments where you're stuck, we can use technology to help. Got it. It's similar to the way that Surfer and similar NLP SEO tools structure their little content clusters, right? You have your overarching topic, but there's a bunch of related keywords in there. And it's not just synonyms or making something plural. Like they're often completely separate words and ideas that fall under this umbrella. Mm -hmm. And I think when you're using an NLP-based strategy for your written content, it's going to lend itself really well to being atomized. How does SEO evolve from here if we're creating multimodal um, keywords are always important, but but the concept of SEO, especially is ruled by Google, King Google. How does it look in the future? How does SEO transform? I, I know for a long time, and I, I think it still holds true for SEO, one of the major uh, factors for SEO ranking is still social engagement. And so when people do come through other channels, that does tend to make your content look better because it just shows that people care enough to come to your website from other places. So there's this idea that um, it's not just about SEO for a web page and Google and now Bing, but it's also, this is where atomization comes in. If it's really, really, really high quality and people are reading it, not just on social channels, but also they're sharing it in Slack during the day and they're sharing it in uh, WhatsApp channels you cannot track and measure necessarily. If, if it's good enough on those channels and people are coming to your website, that's probably even better. That tells search engines that it's not just that these this, these pages have great keywords, but it's so interesting that people on our search engines might also be as interested. And so there's like that double value of SEO is still important, but repurposing still is so, 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 so valuable because of SEO. Got it. Yeah. 
okay, we defined atomization. We talked a little bit about sort of why and, and how to do it, but let's get into the brass tacks a little bit. How do you start? You know, what if you're, what if you're starting from scratch? You've never done atomization before. You really want to try it out. Where, where do you go from here? I think for me, make sure the technology is ready to go. In order to do distribution right today, you've got to have the right technology underneath everything. I mean, obviously, the business goals and the channel goals, all that's important. But once you have those understood, you have to have some sort of, for example, a headless CMS, which is a fancy way of saying content will sit somewhere, whether it's text or video or audio or images. And then anyone that needs to use it, they can pull it from API to use it for a website or a, a web app or even a Times Square billboard. It doesn't matter where you want the, the stuff displayed, uh, it, it, it'll sit in some library, all the stuff together. And so- Go, go backwards a second. You said pull it from API for, for the audience if you don't know what that means. What does that mean to pull from API? Yeah, yeah. So really any way that web apps communicate today is through this means called uh, an API. And without getting too technical, basically, it allows for whatever data, including text and copy and video and, and images inside your headless CMS or any CMS, you can bring that data and that text and that video, whatever, into whatever the, what other channel you want, whatever that channel looks like. So it could be a traditional CMS. You would take content that sits uh, in your CMS and pull it into your website, and that was it. It's a one-to-one. But Headless kind of takes it a couple of steps further. You could take your content that's sitting in your Headless CMS, and now you can pull it anywhere else. So it's not just a website, but you can now pull that same content or bits uh, into an app or other digital platforms, wherever that happens to be, and billboards and other digital things. And so uh, it's a really powerful way, but all that technology is, without getting too technical, is powered by that API layer. And so, um, yeah, but that's kind of how I, I would start. You have to make sure that you have some way to distribute stuff, but also making sure your marketing automation can track these things. So it's nice to be able to distribute, but how are you winning? Are you winning? Those questions have to be answered by the technology as well. Got it. Since you left off on attribution, it's a really good segue into dark social. And what do you do when you can't attribute that traffic to your website or whatever back to a piece of content, right? If you if your content is getting shared into Slack, it's getting shared in emails internally between team members or even getting LinkedIn posts sent from one person who follows you to their coworker. There's no real way to track that. Yeah. And I think the question you're asking is really kind of, especially in the B2B space, we call this larger thing demand gen or demand mm-hmm. generation. And so, uh, you know, to, to break that down for maybe folks that don't necessarily use the word or don't know what it is, demand gen is, there's two kinds of users in the market, for especially for B2B. There are folks that are in market who are actually aware of a problem and they need a solution. Oftentimes they, they know your brand uh, and there are brands that are out of market. And so they don't necessarily know your brand. They may not, need, not even know the category of your solution. In some cases, they might not even know they have a problem. So a great example of this is brands that are using like a spreadsheet, Excel sheet to manage their contacts or leads. Well, there's CRMs out there. And so they might not be aware that there's a solution to their problem, that they even have a problem in the, in the first place. Demand gen is all about first creating demand to capture, to get in front of those people who are out of market. So they have some sort of lack of awareness of your of the problem that they have, the category or your brand. And as long as you're educating them and making sure your brand is going out there and reaching them the moments they have questions, teaching them about their problem, making them more aware that you have a really valuable solution for them, when they eventually inevitably do get in market, 
or they tell other people who might get in market, then you're ready to capture them. That could be SEO when they're interested about CRMs and they Google it and then your technology comes up and they remember your name because of all the marketing you've done. Um, that comes up. And so dark social is a huge part of it because it's not necessarily in dark social is this way of thinking about content that can't be tracked. It's like when we share stuff on Slack, the brand isn't necessarily seeing that you shared their stuff. They can see these other channels like Google search and social media, but they can't see Slack and WhatsApp and things like that. But dark social is really important because as long as you're educating those folks in market and really producing compelling content and education, well, there's a chance that they might share it with colleagues and peers and friends and teammates. And eventually that word gets around. And that's a lot of how B2B demand gen works today, a lot of dark social. So to answer your question, I, I think it's a roundabout way of defending the idea of atomization. You need to have really high quality, superb, compelling content, creating as much of that across as many touch points as possible allows you to be able to fill up both ends of that out-of-market, in-market dimension component. Yeah. I mean, we could start to touch on, like there's dark social, but then there's the dark funnel, right? I have this whole path, right? Like somebody makes a LinkedIn post and their coworker mentions it, and then maybe they um, see it pop up again in a Slack channel, right? And then another coworker, maybe their CEO shares like a video that they love and by this point, they've realized, you know, oh, we're looking for whatever Chris sells. And his name will pop up first. Yeah, yeah. and his name will pop up first, right? But so yeah. they go, you realize, oh, I'm in market for this solution. You do an organic search for that and you see the website pop up. You click on it. Top of They mind. fill out a form. Yeah. They download a lead gen asset. So you've now captured that demand. All that your CRM is going to show is they searched for data attribution solution and downloaded the top 10 SaaS data guidebook ebook, right? And now they're a MQL. Excellent. But there was this whole path yeah. between or before you captured that demand. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It stands to reason that if we have all these dark channels, like Slack is a great example. We we internally share a lot of stuff on Slack. Yeah. We find mm -hmm. stuff, we copy the link, we share it on Slack, whatever. Sometimes it's just there's summaries written inside a Slack channel. So it's really hard to know for attribution purposes, especially with agencies who are trying to track ROI and engagement and all that kind of stuff. Does it stand a reason that we're creating more work for ourselves here? Like even though, I don't know, just we live in this world where every time a new technology comes on the scene, it solves a lot of problems, but then it creates a whole bunch of new ones. So now wouldn't the expectation be like, hey, well, if we could only produce 50 articles per month, and but with atomization tools, we can now create 500 a month. Yeah. Aren't we creating more work for ourselves? Because now we're trying to blanket the world with our content. And if everybody else is doing the same thing, doesn't that become a you know too much of a good thing at this point? How do we solve for the the, the problems that that once you hit critical mass and everybody's onto the atomization and that becomes the buzzword across the industry? How do you fight for share of eyeballs, share of Slack space, share of whatever? Yeah, I think this is where generative AI can give us kind of a fighting chance because there's a lot of noise. But I think the folks that understand in the generative AI space, there's this idea that if you engineer your prompts well, you can get better and better responses. It's kind of how it works with really any, any generative AI tool, whether you've used 
Jasper or writer. Um, it doesn't really matter. Um, and I think this is kind of where generative AI and prompt engineering can kind of help. And so you, you may not need to create as much content to stand out. You could probably focus on less stuff and repurpose that and cut through because you're using some of the the, the ideas and, and maybe even tricks that the generative AI tool is giving you to make it even more compelling. And so you've got this one piece, it's a thousand, maybe 2000 words, and you could probably do 50 unique, really creative things and really compelling things for all the 25 to 50 atoms you've created because you're using generative AI as kind of like a, a thinking assistant alongside you, kind of like an, uh, kind of a, a person on your shoulder just kind of like telling you what to do. And so you got... Probably that is a solution, but I, I don't think it gets any easier. I think um, Apple's privacy um, stuff from a few years ago has also clouded that. So between a lot of the privacy stuff that's in place now, um, GDPR, you know, all this other stuff, and all the dark social dark funnel stuff, um, it is going to get harder and harder for brands to kind of keep track of all the different channels and what's happening where. But as long as you're creating compelling content, the lagging metrics are still going to be there, right? If you If you're MQL to SQL rate is improving if your sales cycle is getting reduced over time and um, all these other cool lagging metrics. If all those things are improving, then you've done something right. Then it's just a matter of like just taking a look at the campaigns and programs you have in market. Guys, this has been a great show. I love having these roundtable discussions and just it's like dropping a a camera and a mic in the middle of a a conversation around the roundtable. Of course, we're spread out across the country. Um, but it is fun and we will have some other interesting conversations planned in the future. So Rachel, Charles, thanks for joining. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having me guys. You bet. Let's do this. Thank you for listening to another episode of Hello Content produced by the brilliant Rachel Witzel. Our theme music is by Cake Without Candles. We'll be back for another episode next week, wherever you listen to podcasts. In the meantime, you can check us out online at t3custom.com. That's the letter T, the number three, custom.com. Thanks again.